Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the fourth episode, the Lando Norris episode of the podcast, and we have a huge announcement in the F1 world. Formula One is coming to Las Vegas. Yes, Las Vegas, a third race in the USA. And this isn't just some Caesars Palace Grand Prix that we saw in the past in the car park of the casino. They are going to be racing down the strip, past the Bellagio Fountain, Mandalay Bay, and many other Vegas landmarks. It's going to be a night race. Um, The race will be taking uh, place in November of next year at around 10 p.m. local time on a Saturday night. That is going to be just absolute scenes. I cannot wait for that. Um, 10 p.m. local time, though, um, on the West Coast, I know for me, uh, in the Eastern time zone, that's going to make for a 1 a.m. race start, and I believe uh, GMT time zone is about five hours ahead, so that would make it 6 a.m. start for them. It's an interesting start time for the race, Um, but, you know, honestly, 10 p.m. on a Saturday night, that is going to be just so cool, and I am so, I, I don't know, have anyone seen the track layout? It's it's very interesting, the straight um, that is the strip that they're going to be down, it's going to look so cool, but it's a two kilometer straight. Um, for reference, I believe Mexico, that's a very long straight that they have, uh, their start finish straight, that's only about one kilometer, so this is twice the length. Uh, I seen that they're going to be, uh, reaching speeds of about 345 kilometers an hour on the, on the strip. That's going to be absolutely wild. And I don't even think the drivers are going to be able to take in what they're actually seeing because they're, they're going so fast, but, um, for the fans and if you're, if you're able to make it to Las Vegas for that race, um, sit up on, into the, on the Ferris wheel or even from your hotel room, if it has a, a, a window facing the track, that is going to be probably the best scene in the house. I couldn't imagine seeing those cars go around in Las Vegas. I mean, this is this is Las Vegas we're talking about. This is probably the brightest city in the world at night. I'm not joking you. It, it's going to look absolutely beautiful. I think Jeddah and Singapore, those those circuits look absolutely beautiful at night. And Vegas is just going to be on a whole nother level. I mean, yeah, it is just going to be insane. But, you know, I I have a few other things I want to bring up about this Las Vegas race. And that is the fact that there's going to be three three races in the U.S. now. And I know some people are like, oh, why does this country get three? And, you know, some of the uh, most famous racing nations in the world don't. It's supposed to be a world championship. Why are three races happening in one country? Well, you know, I think people do tend to forget how, just how big the U.S. is. And I'm not arguing that the U.S. has more cultures than Europe. But even like the East Coast and the West Coast are are really different. And if Miami was the only race uh, in the U.S. and you were from Seattle you can't get there like that is a huge huge amount of traveling to get there even though it's in within your own country in europe if you live in i don't know uh germany germany doesn't have a race anymore 
To get to an F1 race, it is not nearly as far as it would be for those people in Seattle trying to make it to Miami, even Texas. Even Texas. If you live in Germany, you are closer to a Grand Prix than someone who has one in their own country. That's how big U.S. is. And yes, that goes for Canada as well, but Canada has nowhere near the population of the of the United States. So I understand that. Honestly, if you're from Vancouver, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is arguably closer now than Montreal. Um, I'm not 100% on that, but I, I honestly... I'm pretty sure that would be true. I think someone who lives in BC would be able to make it to the Las Vegas Grand Prix in less time than the Montreal. Um, but anyway, um, with three in the US, all these races getting added to the calendar, there's already, what, 22 races on this calendar, the most we've ever had. Um, I know CEO Stefano Domenicali said that they could manage 30 Grand Prix, like that many places. Uh, not many great tracks, but I think in the current, I think Concord agreement is what it's called. They're only allowed to have a maximum of 24, which means some something's getting left out. Obviously, Russia, I don't think that they'll be returning to Russia anytime soon, given the circumstances. But unfortunately, three tracks are currently up um, on their contract. That is Mexico, France and Spa. And I think technically Monaco is considered in that as well. And there have been a lot of people talking about, could Monaco be getting replaced? Because, you know, we have a lot of street circuits now. We have Baku, we have Singapore, we have obviously Las Vegas, uh, Jeddah is a street circuit. We have a lot of them. And, you know, you could argue that Vegas has that glamour effect that Monaco has. It's just Monaco has, of course, the prestige, you know. There's not going to be any of that triple crown um, hype. I mean, not that there really is, but you can't win the triple crown of motorsport if there's no Monaco Grand Prix, right? Monaco is, you know, the heart of racing, some people would argue. So I, th- I personally, I still like Monaco, yes. The races are a bit of a snooze, but I still think you ask every driver on this grid, name the top three tracks that you would want to win at. They're all going to pick their home race, of course, if they have one. And Monaco is going to be in that top three. They all want to win in Monaco. Qualifying, it's arguably one of the best qualifying sessions of the year. It's, it's, I honestly think Monaco is one of the coolest weekends of the year, still. So I don't want to see it gone. Personally, if I had to pick between those three, which one I would want gone, I would pick France, but that's also because Mexico is a race that we get to see at a great time being um, in North America. The race would be at like 12 o'clock as opposed to France that could be at like 8 a.m. So that, that I'm a little biased in there, but even when you consider the tracks, um, I wouldn't say one is clearly better than the other. I would say France is probably a little bit more boring than Mexico. They're, they're both kind of not great. Um, I, I really do believe that every driver, if, it, if it's possible, should have their own home race. That would be really cool because, you know, it's a world championship, like I said before. So to take out France, that's Gasly's and Ocon's uh, home race. But if you're taking out Mexico, then that's Checo's home race. Spa, technically, there is no Belgian driver. However, Max Verstappen 
is part Belgian. And actually, Lance Stroll comes from Belgian heritage, too. I'm not sure how much he really um, celebrates um, his... Oh, I guess actually Lando, too. I think I think they all have a bit of Belgian in them. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Or maybe I'm just completely making that up with Lando, to be honest. I, I, I just checked. I just checked. Lando Norris is, in fact, a British-Belgian racing driver. So I was correct. I had to check that. It is his episode of the podcast. I do not want to be getting that type of thing wrong. So, yes, one of those tracks is likely to be gone very soon. And, you know, a lot of people have brought up the idea of a rotating schedule, meaning we get Mexico in 2023, but then in 2024, it's a year off, and then it brings um, opportunity to other countries to host a race. And I think that would be a cool idea because then it makes every Grand Prix, I think, a little bit more special. But I think it would also be very upsetting for Formula One fans if, say, Silverstone was included in that rotation and we get an entire world championship without a British Grand Prix. I think that would be a, a shame. But what would be even more of a shame is if Spa was completely off the calendar. And I think people are, aren't really realizing that this track is not untouchable. The contract is up. They are doing construction on it. I guess it's actually for MotoGP and not for Formula One. But still, they're, they're doing construction. And it's not the... the it, It's the best track in Formula One, in my opinion. I don't want to see it gone by any means. But I don't think it's untouchable. And, you know, it's it has been a little bit dangerous. Let's be honest, right? They're not making the construction because of the safety of Formula One, but we've seen crashes there every year, and they're, they're scary crashes. The W Series crash last year, obviously Antoine Hubert, um, rest in peace, uh, Lando Norris in qualifying last year. I, it's, it's not untouchable, so I just want to throw that out there that, you know, Spa could be in danger, but I don't know. I, I would I would think Formula One knows what they have in Spa, and they will do everything to keep it on their calendar. That being said, back to Vegas. One last thing I want to say about Vegas is I don't think this would be possible without Drive to Survive. I think that might be a bit of an obvious thing to say. But the popularity of Formula One in America has grown so much due to this series. And I don't think they would ever shut down the strip for any motorsport event had it not been for Drive to Survive. So, I mean, hats off to Netflix and Formula One for that partnership because, I mean, you know, they nailed it. And the fact that we're going to see cars race down the strip is honestly just one of the coolest things that you could possibly imagine. Anyway, let's move on to... There was no race this this Sunday. I can't believe I haven't even said that yet. But I want to move on to next Sunday. Like I said on last podcast, um, that I, I'll be doing my Melbourne predictions for um this this episode because i mean why do my predictions a couple weeks out there's there's just no point in doing that you know things can change very quickly in the world of formula one so um but first you know i want to talk about the changes to albert park the of course track that is in melbourne in australia that formula one will be racing at they made quite a few changes before you know i think australia was good i don't think it was absolutely necessary that they make changes like they probably need to do in Monaco but 
it, it was a decent track before. I, I really didn't have any quarrel with it, but I think the changes that they made for this year are going to make it more exciting. Um, there is a big one. I'm going to talk about that one last, but they made a couple turns, actually more than a couple, I think maybe four of the turns just wider, so giving more space, of course. Um, there's a bit of a longer straight. Uh, the one straight, they extended the corner, so it just, it, obviously the straight is a bit longer because the corner is further away. And they completely removed um, the one chicane um, that basically makes the almost the entire sector flat out into the quick left then right before what used to be the third DRS zone and is now the fourth DRS zone. Yes, I said that. There's going to be four DRS zones at Melbourne. That will be the first time I'm pretty sure that a Formula One track is at four DRS zones. And what's arguably the most interesting uh, point in all of this is that there's only two detection points, meaning that the four DRS zones are there are two double DRS zones. If you pass the detection point behind the driver in front, even if you get past them on the first DRS zone, you have DRS again to, I guess, make the move stick. Um, I think that is just absolutely mad. And seeing what we've seen, I literally last week, I was just talking about DRS and how I don't want them to remove it. And well, maybe they heard me because now they're adding to it. I said it was entertaining. And after all, that's that's what Formula One's trying to do is, is entertain. And geez, I just think this four DRS zones is going to be absolute madness. I, with the cars following the way they have been, DRS looks very powerful, definitely more so than the uh, years before, you know, sometimes DRS, it would just create a train or it wouldn't really seem to make that big of a difference at certain tracks. And now, geez, I just, I'm, I can't wait to see how this plays out because four DRS zones is absolutely crazy. But, you know, I think that we're going to see some overtakes. They might be artificial overtakes, like I said last week, but we're, we're going to see some stuff this week. And, you know, I couldn't be more excited because, you know, we haven't been to Australia since 2019. And, you know, it's one of our, I think one of the world's favorite drivers home race. So I think it would only be wrong if we don't talk about, uh, Daniel Ricardo, right? He, uh, he announced, or sorry, I should say F1 on April Fool's announced that Daniel Ricciardo retired. And I think that might have been because of the uh, Las Vegas reaction video that F1 also posted that Daniel Ricciardo said that he was going to retire and now he won't because there's a Las Vegas race, which was funny. Um, but, you know, it, I kind of got us thinking, I think, or at least it got me thinking that we we got to start taking we got to start appreciating Daniel Ricardo for how lo- how much longer we have him it is not guaranteed that he's going to be around in formula 1 for another 10 years he he's on the older half of the grid i think if i had to guess he's probably like the fifth oldest guy on the grid i mean there's lewis seb is older than him fernando who else is older than daniel Besides those three, I don't know. It's not coming to me on the top of my head, but maybe maybe Checo. Checo might be older. Um, yeah, but still, you get the point. He's he's getting up there, and I think that whole dream of 
of winning a world championship for Daniel Ricardo, I think is starting to slip away. And it, it really pains me to say that because I think, like I said, he is one of the most likable drivers there may have ever been in this sport. Um, and his decisions, obviously leaving Red Bull at the time he did, and then probably joining Renault when he should have joined McLaren. And then now with McLaren, he gets one good year, wins that race in Monza, amazing moment. And now McLaren's on the back foot again. It's, it's sad because, um, well, you know what, I guess I'll, I'll read the Christian Horner quote because it came up, I think probably because the Australian Grand Prix is coming up that Christian was asked about Daniel Ricardo, and I will read the quote as if I, it was Christian Horner saying it. We put offers in front of him that were stratospheric. Daniel could see Max in the ascendancy and he didn't want to become the second driver. His timing was spectacularly bad because he had doubts about Honda's engine. He, of course, is saying that because Max went on to win a world title with Honda, and he left when Red Bull got rid of the Renault engine and put in the new Honda engine, and, you know, they actually immediately improved. So, horrible luck for Daniel, and he's had horrible luck at the Australian Grand Prix as well. His best results have been two P4s. He's had a couple DNFs here, maybe even three. Um, and I don't think it's likely to get better this time around. Daniel, uh, man, it, it sucks because the clock really is ticking. And I just don't see, I don't see a path where he could become a world champion at this point in his career. I think Lando Norris, I think most people would say Lando Norris is the better driver at McLaren right now too. So it's not like, a, a big team is going to take Daniel on. I think Lando would be the one, although he did just sign a huge contract in McLaren. I think Lando would be the one that, that these big teams would target if there were an opening. I know Red Bull, there was some, there was some talk with helmet Marco about bringing Pierre Gasly back into Red Bull. So I think even if that spot opened up, Checo left, I don't think it would be Daniel coming back. You know, it would be even, it wouldn't even be Lando. It'd be Pierre Gasly, right? Lewis, um, obviously, he is going to be on the way out very soon. There's going to be a spot open at Mercedes, but, you know, who's that going to be? I don't know if they take Ricardo, but, yeah, I, that's that's. I did want to just talk about Daniel real quickly because I think we just, th those are little even fake announcements and him talking about that, you're like, man, you know, it's really not that far away that we might not have Daniel Ricardo on the grid anymore. And honestly, that's just going to be a sad day for Formula One. He is just, he's the life of the grid. He is hilarious, so likable. And, you know, I, I want to see Daniel Ricciardo be as successful as he can be while he's still here. So I just wanted to have a little quick Daniel Ricciardo appreciate um, moment there for him because, you know, they were talking about him retiring even though it was a joke. I just I just wanted to mention that in front of uh, his home race that we're about to witness, and I hope that he he does as well as he can. Anyway, some uh, quick fire news just before right before I get into my Melbourne predictions. Um, there's reports that Fernando Alonso will already be taking his third engine of the season, which is wild. It's the third race already on his third engine. I think some grid penalties are probably in store for him down the road. And there are also um, increased speculation that upgrades for Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari are all imminent. Um, I've heard 
possibly Red Bull shaking off some weight that's going to help them gain a quarter, even half a second um, of lap time. That much, that's how much weight they're going to be shedding. Um, new floors for Mercedes. And yeah, a lot of weight, getting rid of the weight too. I heard Alfa Romeo is like the only team that's actually um, meeting the weight regulations right now, which I don't understand how that can be true. Why are cars allowed to race overweight? I, I don't get it. Anyway, round four Imola, look for upgrades coming in just two weeks time. Now, uh, let's get into Melbourne. Uh, like I said, first race since 2019 we've had two years off of the australian grand prix so the last time we were here lewis hamilton claimed pole position and uh he did not win the race though because valtteri bottas dominated on sunday taking the lead into turn one and going on to win by over 20 seconds i think valtteri has another great race here i don't have him on the podium like i said he was going to in Jeddah. that did not work out well as he dnf'd um, but this time around, I think we see Max take pole and his first win in Australia, followed by Sergio Perez in P2 and Carlos Sainz in P3, meaning no Leclerc on the podium and a Red Bull 1-2. I am predicting this Red Bull 1-2 because I think we saw the power advantage that they have over everyone right now. And um, I think power is going to come in a little bit more important uh, at this race now. Four DRS zones, longer straights. The removal of that chicane makes an entire sector almost engine-powered. So I have Max above Sergio, I think, for, for obvious reasons, and unfortunately for Sergio. But, you know, I have him finishing ahead of the Ferraris too, and then the Ferraris will be P3, P4, and Mercedes P5, P6. I have Carlos Sainz ahead of Leclerc because... I really think that Sainz has to has to get one up on Leclerc if he was if he wants to avoid getting demoted to that second driver role. Um, it's too early to be prioritizing one driver. I think, although I wouldn't be surprised given Ferrari's history, it with Leclerc and Vettel very early on they were telling Leclerc, you know, you're a second driver. Um, sure, these guys are both young, so it is a bit different. Vettel is fighting for world titles, but. I still think it's it's too early, but with Ferrari's history, you know, Fernando is faster than you. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised, but yes, I, I trust Ferrari. They're not going to be telling signs to get out of Leclerc's way just yet. It's round three of new regulations. Let's chill a little bit. So I'm putting I'm putting my faith in Carlos to show that he is there with Leclerc, because if he continues to finish behind him. He's going to be a second driver. That's just how it's going to be. People aren't going to like it, but hey, if if you don't want to be a second driver and you want to fight for world titles, drive fast, right? I, and I love Carlos. That's I'm not being, I'm not really trying to to harp on him here. Like I'm predicting him to get the podium ahead of Leclerc, but um, yeah, he's he's got to he's got to drive faster, and he's got to get one up on Leclerc if he doesn't want to get into that second. Uh, driver position so you like i said mercedes p5 p6 uh rounding out the points i'm gonna predict Bottas again like i said i think he's great here i think he it could be on for a p7 here and maybe even tangle with some mercedes i, I really want it to happen 
Um, and Magnussen, his, I think, only Formula 1 podium. I think he only has one. P2 here in Australia in 2014, maybe? Was it 2014? I don't quite remember. But he gets on very well here. He scored many points in Australia. Haas usually has great pace here. I have Haas scoring double points here because I think I Schumacher is P9, P10 in this race. And I'm going to give Alonso with his fresh engine some points as well. Um, last week, we didn't see Mick, Sebastian Vettel, or Yuki Sonoda race in Jeddah for different reasons. Um, I don't think Vettel or Sonoda um, will score points here. And I think this maybe is a bit of a bold prediction on its own, saying Alpha Tauri will not score a point based on the fact I just said Red Bull Trap powertrains are the quickest looking um, engine right now. But no, I have no points for Alpha Tauri or McLaren this week. And my other, I guess, bold prediction will be that there will be no retirements. We saw a, a handful of retirements in Jeddah. And I think these teams are really starting to learn a lot about their cars. And um, I, I believe reliability will be on point in Melbourne. It's not like Jeddah. Jeddah is, I think, going to be a bit of a DNF haven for years to come. As long as it's on the, on the calendar, there's going to be DNS there because of the nature of the track but also you know where it is in the world and the temperatures yes it's in in the early part of the year and it's not probably at its hottest but Jeddah is definitely a physically demanding circuit and it demands a lot from the cars too so um I guess that's all I want to predict with the Melbourne Grand Prix and before I wrap it up here I want to, again, promote our racing league, Raw League Racing. If you want to check out our races, please go to YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook. Look up Raw League Racing, get our races with commentary, or go to my Twitch channel, Be Crazy, to watch uh, my personal streams. So, yeah, that will do it for the Lando Norris episode of Break Bias. Special thanks to a good friend of mine, Robbie Watkins, founder of the RLR Racing League for the new podcast cover art i love it it looks great i'm your host brad kramer and i'll be back for episode five next monday after the return of the australian grand prix goodbye